0: Welcome to the Fabric Podcast. This series of episodes is called, How Much is Enough? And our hope is to dig into conversations about money. These episodes were captured as part of a live gathering in Minneapolis, and we're so glad you're joining the conversation now.
1: Uh, You know, the money world is kind of a a wild one. When the surf is up, it's like really, really great. But when it's just the tide breaking on your shore, it's... You know, not, not not so great, really. And uh, we probably spend some time in both worlds. Some of us are stuck a little bit more in one or the other, but that's uh, beside the point. That's not where we're headed today. Um, if you listen to, if you watch or uh, read the news... You can't really help but get deluged with the financial news on top of it, right? I mean, I don't know if you follow the Dow Jones on the New York Stock Exchange, or if you're, you know, these days, like, you're really focused on what's happening with inflation. Is it up? Is it down? How much is it down? What's the Fed going to do? Or maybe you're worried about wages and, like, how are wages faring with inflation and stuff like that. And, you know, that catches your attention. I don't, you know, I don't know. To be honest, I try not to follow, you know, all the goings and comings of all the financial news out there, but I, um, but I have a hard time not following it. I mean, sometimes I kind of have to slap myself in the face just to wake myself up and realize, you know, my well-being or the world isn't just going up or down with the stock market, you know, and kind of push that stuff all away from myself. Uh, Those graphs, those statistics, they're important. They tell us some really important things. But, you know, I don't know just just how much they apply to us. In fact, I would say, you know, maybe they don't so much. Maybe it's important to separate our well-being from some of those things because they're macro, right? You know, they're looking at society, looking at even global interests and so on. And... You're not macro. You're micro. You know, you, you're personal, all right? You're personal, and your world is more than your finances. Your life is more than your finances. And, and it's hard to distinguish that, and that's one of the important things for us to be able to do. Um, I, just to kind of get some perspective on that, I want you to think, to think about one of the happiest times in your lives. just like life was good then. Just kind of remember when it was, what was going on, what that was like. Usually, it doesn't take me too long to pick out a couple of those times in my life. Um, what was it? What was that time you had? You know, and let me ask: Was that a time when you had the most money in your life? You know, maybe it was. I mean, there's nothing wrong with money. Money's good, right? It's a gift. But probably, even if it wasn't, it wasn't the money that made it so good. Yeah, I think that tends to be true. It seems to be that they aren't really going. I would actually venture to say, and you can give me a show of hands if this is true for you, that time that you're imagining right now was independent of how much money you were making at that time. Would that be true for you, the time that you're thinking of? Right. I, I think that probably is true for the vast majority of us. Now, it probably also wasn't a time of financial crisis, however, right? I mean, financial crises have a way of just kind of destroying everything. And yeah, that's not an easy thing to do. And in fact, it's one of the reasons why it's important for us to try to shape society in a way that nobody falls into that pit, right? And that we're able to keep anybody from having everything stolen and all the life sucked out of their life because of these finances, which our lives should be more than, right? Um, Chris and I um, often talk about probably what was one of the happiest times in our lives. It's when I was doing my graduate internship, and Chris was in graduate school, and we had enough money to live safely, like we had a place to live, and you could take care of our necessities, but that was kind of it. In fact, we had one personal indulgence a week, and I did not tell Chris I was going to tell a story, but what was it? Yeah, yes. So this was 40 years ago, and she still remembers it too. Once a week, we would go to Pizza Hut at the adjoining parking lot to our apartment building and get one personal pan pizza to share. That was it. And life was good. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to necessarily go back to the austerity we had to live with at that time. I mean, that wasn't what made it, But that wasn't what made it so good or so bad. I mean, we had our basics covered. That was really important so that we could be thinking beyond that. But, um, but it really wasn't about all that sort of stuff. Those things don't determine a quality of life. So we've been talking about money these last couple of weeks uh, for one reason. And it is this, to make sure that your money is serving your life. It's helping you be about the things that you value most, the things that are most important to you, the things that are priorities for your life, rather than you serving it, right? Being trapped by it. Um, Your financial commitments, your decisions, maybe accidents that just, you know, fell into you, ruts you've ended up in, those dictating the trajectory of your, how you use your time, what your career is all about, what your sense of self might happen to be. Uh, We want you to know that... Who you are, what you are, is a gift to this world. Just just how you are. And the things that are entrusted to you, use them well. Use them wisely. Steward them heartfully to the rest of the world because that's a big piece of us being in the world. And I also just want you to know that to not let yourself be a cog to the engines of our financial systems in this world, the, the economic systems in this world, right? You are more than any of that. Those economic systems don't care who you are. They don't care about you. They don't know good from bad. They just know profit and loss. Don't let yourself be eaten up by those. So today I want to talk about the G word, all right? Now, fortuitously this week, the Star Tribune had this headline, Harvey McKay, F words aren't all bad when it comes to business. So I figure if F words are okay for them, G-words are okay for us, right? Um, and the G-word is not, well, I should stop. What do you think it is? It, it's, it's not God. Yeah, I mean, that'd be too cheesy. Goats, close. Um, last week, if you are here, we talked about graciousness, generosity, and gratitude. Not those, right? Those are too long. They don't fit in the little... Good credit score. That's a, that's, that's a guess. Um, yeah, so the G word has to do with your money. And like most of those financial things about our money, we're pretty sensitive about anyone talking about it, at least when it's, they're talking about like our money, right? We don't like to do that. If you don't think, I've had a few people say, I don't think money is that sensitive an issue. <laughs> I just, I, want, I think that's funny. Um, Go up to someone when you first meet them, and instead of asking them what they do for a living, ask them how much they make for their living. And then take a picture of their face and send it to me, all right? I would love a collection of those, I mean, it's classic. Um, So we're going to talk about this money stuff, um, including the G word, this is my rewrite of the STRIB article. The G word, which isn't all bad when it comes to your personal life, right? So we're going to dig into this G word. And we're going to talk about it, not because it's about your money, but because it's about your and my heart. And when we talk about it, when we face it, we take the power away from our money. And we return it to where it really belongs, and that is in our deeply woven lives. All right? So that's where we want to go. And make make no mistake, money, possessions, uh, our wealth, they want to have you. It's almost like they're living things, you know, that are kind of hunting us down and in pursuit of us, which, of course, they aren't. But they are a path to things that are so tempting that it's hard to say no to right? And, and they take hold and they start getting into our operating system so that we start defining who we are according to them. And then we start deciding how we are going to use our time and our energy and maybe where we're going to head our life in order to make sure that we can get them so that we can be the person that they defined us to be. And at a certain point, you get far enough down that road and it starts putting barriers behind you. It's almost impossible to turn back. It's hard to differentiate yourself from that path any longer. Um, maybe that is why Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, to be clear, When he says the kingdom of God, he isn't saying heaven. He isn't saying it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to go to heaven. That's not what he's talking about at all. For Jesus, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God were metaphors or illusions for when someone lives life, sees life, and aligns their life to the world the way God, the way all things work, you know, the way the the fabric of the universe operates, what it's all about, right? How God envisions our world for us. And... um, yeah, so that, that's what he's asking us to do. So make no mistake, you are gripped by money. I am gripped by money. There is no way to live, at least in our world, without constantly dealing with the grip that money wants to have in our lives. Last week I said there is no better way to break the grip of money on your life than to give some of that money away. That letting go is a declaration to yourself and to your money. You're telling it um, that your money isn't everything, that you don't have to have it, and it cannot have you. It has its place for sure. But it's, but its place is in serving you and the life that you choose, not in you serving it and the life that it has chosen, determined for you. So that G word, in case you hadn't figured it out by now, is a four-letter word, which is one of the reasons you don't want to say it, right? Give, G-I-V-E, give. How many people knew that? Yeah, I know, you're smart. Okay, um, so giving money away. Now, you may remember that the other week we said that money is entrusted to you and your life for a couple of reasons. And, you know, one is to enjoy it. that's good. There's there's no reason not to. I mean, this is a wonderful, beautiful, amazing world. Enjoy the things that your money, your wealth, your ability to operate in the world allows you to have, right? That's a great thing. Um, It's also there for you to care for yourself and for those that are closest to you. We're human beings. We have these needs. They're supposed to be cared for, and we're supposed to be able to have means to do that. But that money that is entrusted to you, those wealth the material possessions, are also entrusted for for you to share them with others, to put them to work to where they are destined, not just where they landed, right? You are not a warehouse. You are a distribution center, right? Those are different. They may look the same on the outside, but they operate very differently. So... Be the distribution center. So that share piece is the give. Yeah, your money is not just for you. Part of it is um, for you to pass along. The Bible has some very specific language to talk about this money that is entrusted to us for us to pass along. It calls it tithing. How many people, you know, use use the word tithe or tithing in their daily talk? That's what I thought. Yeah, me either. Okay. Um, So, what is is this tithing? I I think it's actually worth digging into a little bit and understanding what it is and why the Bible talks about it so much. So, tithing literally just means a tenth, ten percent. That's that's literally what the word means. Okay, and it goes back to the earliest parts of the Old Testament. At least in the written form, it's like about 3,000 years old and you can imagine that reflects cultural beliefs and understandings that are much older than that. I find it amazing that this concept goes that far back into human history talking about what our relationship is with our money and with our wealth and what its purpose of it is. And that tie, that 10% was seen as something that everybody for most people is agricultural, a tenth of the produce that you, you grow or 10% of what you may receive for the, your labor as a tradesperson or something like that. 10% of it goes to Yahweh, to to the Lord. Um, and, and not as a sacrifice on the altar, but it's there for some sort of Public good, right? Then, in fact, in Deuteronomy, it was a spell out. So every third year, it just goes like a distribution center for everybody to come and get what they need. Um, So that's what that is all about. Now, um, in fact. just to add to that, the word tithe, then, basically just becomes a synonym in Hebrew in the Old Testament for the word give. So when they want to say give, they'll often just say tithe, alright? So it's, it's a concept. It isn't about the number, alright? It, it, it means 10%, and that's often, you know, how it's talked about, but it's the concept of what you have been entrusted with things that aren't meant just for you, because you are a part of something bigger. And it's our job, it's our fulfillment to fill that, that with other with other people. Now that ten percent too, you know, there are some people just who do not have the money. For them to give ten percent away it's just like impossible. There's no way they can care for themselves and do that. There's a lot of other people for whom ten percent is an excuse. I mean there's nothing sacrificial. There's nothing generous about giving ten percent of what they have away. And kind of figuring out where you are in that hey like all things about faith, right? It's up to you. It's is something for you to work out in your relationships. Now, I believe this tithe concept still applies to us today. Applies to me today. And the, here's the reason. It's not because the Bible tells us. No, it is meaningful to us today for the same reason that it was meaningful to the people that did put the Bible together. And it's because it reflects how the world works. It reflects how the world works. It reflects. It reflects the fact that What you have been entrusted with um, isn't only, you know, what you have been trusted with is there to fulfill its purpose, not just to fill your pocket, right? I mean, that's how things work in the world. Look at any natural system. That's how it all works. Uh, Now, where should you start? You know, should you be giving 10% or not? Like, it's not about the number, right? It's not about the number. And it's also, you know, well, yeah, about where you give that number so much. You know, should you be aiming at 10%? Like I said, you know, 10% is impossible for some people. It's an excuse for other people. Is it 2%? Is it 40%? Is it 5%? I mean, I, I don't know. One of the great questions I get asked, is a pre-tax or post-tax? <laughs> and you go, really? <laughs> I mean, seriously? Like, I think you're missing it. Those are how much questions, right? It isn't about how much. It's about a relationship start someplace give something see what that feels like see where it leads you should you be aiming at 10%? 10 sure if you want to you know but be generous learn listen to your heart see what you start learning as you start being generous in the ways that you can be generous and it's not all about your money right? and then where to give it? I don't know You know, is uh, where are, what places are you in relationship with that need support? Um, What what are some thing, causes in this world that you really feel called to try to make a difference in? What are systems that are close around you, supporting you and the people around that you feel like, I am one of the people that would be here for that cause, that whatever. Okay? Um, Yeah, decide that. Then the next big question about that is, why give? Why give? Well, basically, it comes down to this. A couple, being a church guide, theologian, I think I need to say this. First of all, God, or the fabric, right, um, does not need your tithe. God does not need your tithe, all right? Um, seriously, the universe isn't waiting for you. All right, you're you're not that big of a thing. The stuff that you do makes a difference, but... I I love how the ancient Hebrew people understood this and express it. Okay, so like this is 2,600 years ago, so you have to think about how they saw the world and the kind of language they use, but this isn't in the Psalms, Psalm 50. Uh, I think it's just great perspective. Um, Here you have the poet uh, catching the voice of God saying, Every wild animal of the forest is mine, as are the cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the air and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't need to ask you for the world and all that is in it is mine, right? So why give? It's not because God needs it, right? So here's the next thing. Your local church, this fabric or whatever church you might be in, if you're listening to the podcast or on the live stream, or your favorite charity, they don't need your tithe. Okay? What you give, what you contribute, makes a difference. It's important. But if those are causes that really need to be championed, and they have leadership that knows how to do it, there are people that will take your place. What you do makes a difference, but you are not irreplaceable. Okay? I hope wherever you're giving that has that understanding of you and your relationship with them. They value you, but... Um, You need to do what you need to do, okay? And that's okay. It isn't that those places need it. So those are two reasons not to give. So what is the reason to give? And I, I only really know one. And that is, you need to give. That's why to give. Because you need to give. Giving is not a subtraction from your life. Giving is an addition to your life. What does it do? It settles the issue of control. Of your life. What is in control of your life? We've talked about this quite a bit these last couple weeks, but I'll repeat it again. Nothing breaks the grip of money on your life like giving some of it away, right? That's one. It settles the issue of what is in control of your life. Second, giving makes you part of rather than apart from the world, It creates relationships. It opens doors. It helps us see how you are not just an isolated being operating in the world or in this context of 7 billion people on this planet, but you are intrinsically connected to everybody. And when you start exercising and we start finding your place and how you give and then how you receive, all of a sudden you're starting to feel woven. Yeah, I know I use the metaphor too much. Um, Be found how you're connected to all things, and that's really important. Um, another reason. It benefits others through what you are entrusted with. It benefits others. And there's something about you that is incomplete until you're benefiting others, until you're making a contribution um, to the world around you. We talked about this quite a bit too, Um, but I know you have felt the warmth in your life when you have received because of someone else's generosity, someone else's graciousness, sometimes someone else's sacrifice for you on their part, and you can do the same thing for others and how that completes you? For instance, maybe you have benefited from the generosity of people's taxes who built roads so that you could drive on. Anybody here um, pay for and build all the roads that they drive on? Just me? Oh, yeah, no, right, right, uh, none of us. Uh, maybe uh, the college, if you attended college, it was very likely started and largely supported by people who are very generous. Perhaps if you received a scholarship or your kids are in college and received a scholarship, it was given by someone who made a donation, someone who gave so that someone else could benefit from what they did. Most hospitals in our country were founded as um, charitable organizations at the very, very beginning. That's how they got their star- start, not as businesses. Um... Maybe some of us have benefited for that. Maybe um, you've eaten something in the last day or so that came from something that had been alive at one time and gave its life in order for you to be nourished by it and so that you could grow from it. Good things happened for you because someone, something gave, and it was good. It may be even great, and you can do that for others. It will complete you. will complete you. The last thing is giving also teaches you contentment. Contentment. What a big word. So what what is contentment? Um, If you look on your outline on the back of your Sunday paper, there's a little box over on the right-hand side that says, what's that? Take a minute, and write your definition for contentment. Okay? And then share it with one more person. So, you guys got your communication cards. Um, I would love... Even your half-formed definition of contentment, write those on there. We'd love to have them. We'll we'll do something with that. If you're on the live stream or the podcast, throw it on there as a comment. We'd love to hear from you guys as well. Uh, As I said, the the people I was talking to, the reason I had you do this is because I I have struggling to find a definition for it myself. What I finally settled on for myself was um, being at peace both because of and despite my present situation being a piece because of and despite my present situation, but I don't know, I, I'm, I'm gonna be uh, wrestling with that a bit. Um, so, you know, I hope all this doesn't sound like a bunch of arguments for donating money that you can either take or leave, depending on your opinion, all right? I, I understand that we all are going to have to decide whether we're gonna pick this up, we're gonna play ball with this world where giving is innately part of it or not, and we're gonna have to all decide how generous we are, but I honestly, I don't, th- I think it's a fact of life. I think it's the way the world works, is that we live in this give and receive um, exchange with each other intrinsically, and we can try to not participate in it, but we can't make that go away. In fact, we can't find ways to fulfill ourselves without being a part of that. Um, It's just the way it is. There's a story um, from Jesus' life which I think... Just blows this open at least at least for me. I, I want to just share it with you it 's uh, recorded in three out of the four. Um, books in the Bible that record the lives of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all share this story in one version or another. Um, But basically, it comes at a time when Jesus has gotten enough followers and been loud enough that the people in power, the Pharisees in this case, are pretty upset with him. Um, They have a system that the way it runs is pretty much in their favor, and Jesus is doing stuff that is starting to unravel that. I don't think there's really any parallels to that in today's society. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Um, and, and you know, so they're like trying to ensnare Jesus. They're trying to get him to say something that in front of a bunch of people so they can have witnesses and then they can, you know, take care of him with that. So they come up to Jesus and they say, you know, teacher, we know that you are a good and teach only the things from God and you have, you know, you don't consider people, you only consider the truth that God has given us. So we'd like to ask you a question. What do you think? Do you think it is, it is right for us to pay taxes to Caesar, to the emperor, or not? Well, this is the you know catch twenty two question if he says, um, "Yeah, you know, pay taxes a Caesar that's blasphemy I mean." The Romans are invaders of the Jewish homeland. Um, Caesar has declared himself to be a god. So for them to pay taxes to Caesar is to be unloyal to their nation, which is all founded around the one and only God and so on. So he'd be guilty of blasphemy. If he says, don't pay taxes to Caesar because he's going to be loyal to his Jewish roots, well, then he's guilty of treason. So either way, they got him, right? Right. So Jesus, he, I mean, he knows what's going on. He, he can read this crowd. So he says, he says, show me a coin. So they give him a denarius, which is, you know, like a 50 cent piece or something like that today. 50 cent pieces, do we even have those? Um, they give him a coin, they give him a denarius, and he says, well, whose image is on this and whose inscription is on this? And they say, well, Caesar's. He says, okay, well, give Caesar what's Caesar's and give God what's God's end of conversation. And it tells us that they were amazed. Thalmatzo is the Greek word. They are astounded by what he did. And they all go away and leave him alone. Now, very clever. He dodged the catch-22. Um, much better than I probably could have ever figured out to do. Um, that was really good. But, when you, when you get to know this language, the description of the people's attitude to his answer is way too big. Than how clever he was. I mean, he was clever. They, he, they, were, they should have been impressed. They should have been even kind of delighted because he put the Pharisees in their place, you know. But this Thalmatzah is like astounded by it. There is something else going on there. And there was something else going on there, which we miss. Jesus pulled one of these things where, you know, when someone says something and you know there's something really big in there, but you can't process it fast enough, you know? So you, like, just hear the surface level, but you are—it's going to take you a little bit of time. It reminds me, Lord of the Rings fans here, um, the first movie when Bilbo turns 111 and he has his farewell party and he makes his speech. Just watch this little part of it here. Today is my 111th birthday! Alas, 111 years is far too short a time to live among such excellent and admirable
0: hobbits.
1: (laughs) I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. I mean, it's like, he says that. everybody goes, huh? And there's like, this raucous crowd is silent for a little bit. I mean, he just kind of like slid an insult in there, right? No, no, that's not what Jesus was doing. I mean, Jesus was like throwing something in there which was like a, a life changer that if you can think fast enough, you might catch, all right? Um, and because we're not first century Jews, it's like, whew, right? We, we don't even know what happened, although his audience knew it. They just couldn't figure it out fast enough at the moment. So so what's going on? Okay, so first of all, you have to remember, these are first, his audience is first century Jews. So they're Hebrew. They learn the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, you know, the Old Testament from our perspective. They not only know it and learn it, um, they have memorized it. They know everything, okay? And and since it is the kind of literary work that they live with, all their illusions, all their metaphors and things tend to pull from that again. So like the real prominent verses, the prominent ideas in there pop up over and over and over again. And they can throw them out as an echo of something to make a point without having to say the point, right? Because everybody draws the same conclusion. It's kind of like when you quote a Monty Python or um, Princess Bride or whatever your cult movie might happen to be. You know, you can just throw those in there. That's what they were able to do, Okay. So, so that's the context here. So when Jesus says, give to the emperor what belongs to the emperor because it has his image and his inscription on it, and give to God what belongs to God, the Jewish mind, the wheels, start whirring. Okay? Not because of what he said, but because of what he didn't say. So what they're processing is, well... If the emperor gets my money because his image and inscription on it, then God must get what God's image and inscription are on. And what is that? And immediately, two foundational scriptural pass- passages pop into the head. So if Caesar gets the money because Caesar's image is on it, what does God get? Because as God's image, and immediately, Genesis 1, 27 And God created humankind in God's own image. In God's own image, God created humankind. Well, and if Caesar gets the money because Caesar's inscription on it, what has God's inscription? Again, Jeremiah 31. And I will put my law, I will put my Torah, I will put my ways into your heart, or into you. I will inscribe them on your heart, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. So if Caesar gets my money because Caesar's image and inscription are on it, then God gets me, all of me, including the things that are entrusted to me. That is the jaw-dropper. That is what they gradually realized he was saying. He was skillfully dodging the the trap, yeah, yeah, that the Pharisees had set, but he was even more skillfully setting a trap for them, reminding them whose they were and what it was that they really had to give. And then clearly when they start giving it, they give their whole heart, their whole mind, their whole strength, their whole self along with it, which highlights a danger. One that we're going to be talking about a lot more next month was something that we're calling One with Everything. Um, but it hangs in here too. And that danger is that you can't open the door without the wind blowing in. Okay? And when the wind blows in, it starts messing up stuff around you that you did not intend to get messed up when you opened the door. And that door that you open up is called giving. When you start living generously or when you continue living generously, or when you expand the generosity of your life, because I know all of you are in so many ways already, it starts changing things. That's why the G word is a four-letter word, right? You know? Um, so people who give 10%, they start asking questions. People who give 10% 10, start asking questions. 10%, that's the number, right? 4%, 2%, 40%, I don't care. When we start doing that, we start asking questions. We start asking questions about the other 90% of our money. If that giving is aligned with my values, my priorities, what's important in my life, all of a sudden I say, well, what about the other 90%? Is it aligned? How I'm using that, how I'm stewarding that as well? People who start giving 10% start asking questions about how they earn their money. Somehow asking questions about how you give it Starts making you start asking questions about how you get it, too, if you aren't already. And those things start becoming more and more important to you until they start changing you. People who give 10% start asking questions about how much they really need to earn. What compromises have you accepted? What trade-offs have you made about your time, your effort, the focus of your life, your career, your energy, in order to have, to get what you have? There's another question we ask that's related to that is a question of marginal utility. I don't know if you know that concept. Marginal utility is like, what does it cost for you to earn that extra dollar, and was it worth it? You know, there comes this time when you've got all the money and no time, no friends left to share it with. What was the cost of that extra dollar that you just earned. Now, those aren't new questions to you, I know. I've batted them around my whole life. After all, you and I and everyone on this planet has the image of God within us, the image of the eternal. It is stamped upon us. We also have the ways of that which is Yahweh inscribed in our hearts, so we're called to those questions. We know they're resonate, resonating and rumbling inside of us. And I know it isn't news to your inner self, to your true self, that God, uh, the fabric, that which is, doesn't want your money. No, it wants your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. And you also know that it's pretty hard to give those if you're keeping your money to yourself. So, pens and paper down, relax, shake it out, have a seat and put your feet on the floor if that feels good. Put your hand on your heart like we were doing a bit earlier. Give. Not grudgingly or out of obligation. It isn't about your money. It is about your heart. And that's what we care about, too.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope these conversations are helpful and connective. You can find out more about fabric at fabricmpls.com. There you can find notes from previous conversations and other resources for deepening your relationships with the threads of yourself, others, and that third strand we often call God. You can also find ways of connecting to a group, whether you're in the Twin Cities or not. You can join in supporting this community financially, too. It's through the generous giving of people like you that Fabric is sustained. Again, that's FabricMPLS.com. Thanks for being Fabric in your unique way.